competition is heating up for last mile delivery providers. So Osman is here. He is the CEO and founder of Simply Deliver. He's here to talk about last mile delivery and how Simply Deliver is just making things so simple and easy to use that you're going to want to check them out. So make sure to check out that episode. That's letstalksupplychain.com forward slash season two dash episode 37. Welcome to Let's Talk Supply Chain. My name is Sarah Barnes Humphrey, and each week I bring you the top supply chain professionals in the industry. You will learn about best practices, new innovation, and most up-to-date information about supply chain. I believe that collaboration is the future of business, and I have designed this show to ensure you have all the information you need to succeed in business and in your supply chain. First, a word from our sponsor, Border Buddy. More and more companies are looking to expand their reach in the global markets, but most don't know where to start or don't have the time to figure it out. Border Buddy sees the struggle and has created a way for you to integrate customs into your e-commerce shopping cart, like Shopify, Magento, eBay, and others, allowing you ease and peace of mind when selling to customers in North America. Your customers will know exactly how much the costs are to import their order from your door to theirs in real time. We're the first API-based custom solution. Just imagine what that will do for your business and your sales. Visit us and sign up for 10% off your first clearance at borderbuddy.com forward slash let's talk supply chain. Hello and welcome back to Let's Talk Supply Chain. You have heard me talk about how collaboration is the future of business. So on today's show, we will be talking about just that, a collaborative platform or interface. But first, let's jump into Listener's Corner. We had some really great conversations happening over on my personal LinkedIn, as well as the Let's Talk LinkedIn page, Let's Talk Twitter, and Let's Talk Instagram. If you're not currently following, go and follow us on those platforms so that you can get involved in the conversations. So the question of the week is, where do you see the use of VR and AR technology in the supply chain? One stat says that 70% of warehouses will use VR in the next five years. And that question comes from Dennis in Toronto. Thank you, Dennis, for sending that over. So over on my personal LinkedIn, we had uh, Jay Gottdenker. He is the Director of Procurement at Indiana University, Alan Smithson, uh, Gwen from Freightpath, and Fabio from the Government of Nova Scotia. Quickly, Jay said, interesting, perhaps with the trend towards third-party warehousing, having more flexible warehouses become increasingly important. VR could per- perhaps enable warehouse managers to test configurations prior to physically moving items around, optimizing for space utilization and flow. Perhaps this could be integrated with demand forecasts and ML algorithms to determine the optimal layout. If you want to go and check out that conversation, I have more of each of these conversations at letstalksupplychain.com forward slash listeners corner. Over on the Let's Talk LinkedIn, John Conti, uh, Operations and Logistics Manager at Holman Parts. He says, warehousing for sure, but also on the customer experience side. I'm thinking about a customer who wants to purchase a product and would be able to see the product's availability, shipping options, and geolocation. Over on Twitter, JJ Curtis, Ray Sims, Joe Tillman, and Yale Americas all reached out for this question. And uh, Joe Tillman, he says, 
one, not convinced five years is possible. And number two, agree AR before VR for work, whereas number three, VR for training is quite possible. Um, and then over on Instagram, Silver Links Supply commented, hi, I think this stat is high, but probably correct. I'm interested in helping along those businesses that in 2018 haven't yet implemented an inventory solution. Will there be an easy solution to go from no inventory system to a VR system? Or do small and medium, medium companies need to get their inventory sorted now to ride the VR wave. So again, go and check out the rest of those conversations on the website. If you have a question, please send it over to listener at letstalksupplychain.com. So on today's show, I am talking to Brian, the founder and CEO of Chain.io. He was actually recently just on the Consulting Logistics podcast. And if you haven't listened to that one, go and check that one out as well. They say that they solve a collaboration classic supply chain problem, which is how do we make all these systems and people work together easier? And I want to find out more because a lot I know a lot of you have these same questions. But before we get to that, let's just find out a little bit more about Brian. So Brian Glick has made a career of simplifying complex supply chain and trade compliance IT challenges, whether analyzing complex coding issues or rationalizing the compliance impacts of a vendor direct dropship program. Brian brings a rare combination of executive perspective and deep technical knowledge to today's supply chain challenges. From the early days when web-based visibility platforms and into today's cloud revolution, Brian has been an active leader in each phase of the connected supply chain evolution. With a focus on retail and apparel supply chains, Brian has brought his expertise to bear as an IT leader, both within logistics service providers and through independent software companies. When he's not creating supply chain disruption, Brian's passions include supporting local tech startups and FC Barcelona football. Plus, you might have actually seen him. He responds and comments on most of our questions of the week. So thank you very much for that, Brian. So welcome to the show, Brian. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm so happy that you're here. And I'm really curious to hear about Chain.io and how you guys solve a fundamentally difficult challenge when it comes to systems and supply chain. So let's get started. Who is Chain.io? What is your story? And what do you do? So Chain.io is a systems integration company that focuses exclusively on supply chain and logistics. Uh, And what makes us special and and really the answer to what do we do is we combine really strong project management, really strong business analysis and expertise with systems integration so that our employees and our team work with our customers, whether they're 3PLs, whether they're shippers, to really understand the business problems behind systems integration and then make the actual integrations happen in our cloud platform once once we uh, really understand those problems. Awesome. I love that. And we're going to get into more, you know, examples and details a little bit later on. But why is there a need for Chain.io? There's a lot of software out there. And a lot of it was built in entirely different decades. Uh, <laughs> yes, so- there is. 
<laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> so is so this is one of those situations where my background has been on the 3PL side, working inside of uh, some pretty good sized logistics and customs brokerage companies, uh, really on on uh, U.S. and Canada. And every time I sat down with a client, whether I was on the sales side or the IT side, it was uh, a very difficult thing to figure out how we were going to get to two computer systems to talk to each other. Uh, somebody's on a very old version of SAP and somebody else has a 20-year-old mainframe and somebody else just bought a new system that only talks in APIs and all the IT people stare at each other and no, everyone waits for someone else to blink and what you end up doing is integrating to whoever's got the lowest and worst level of technology because everyone else can work down to that. Uh, so what we, what I figured out through that process was that's a horrible, horrible thing to have to deal with. And that if one company could kind of come in and say, we'll work with everyone at their own pace and their own level of technology and then make these bridges and, and these connections so that companies don't have to start over every time they want to bring on a new software provider or new trading partner, that things could get a lot easier. So it really all came out of a problem that I was experiencing in my job before I started the company. Yeah, I think I just heard a collective sigh of relief across I, the industry. <laughs> I, I often am in, in meetings, initial meetings with clients and they go, they look at me and they go, why would you possibly want to do that? They go, it's the worst part of our job. And I said, well, you just answered your own question. It's uh, nobody, nobody wants to pay a company to do the fun stuff. So we do, we do the, the plumbing, the, the, the thankless work under the hood that makes all, all these other systems look so good. Yeah, exactly. And it's, you know, I, you know, I, I think about all of the different innovations and all of the different systems and they work for all different parts of the business, not only just the supply chain, but the business side, you know, and working for a provider in the past, it was a different system for accounting. It was a different system for sales, maybe marketing, you know, operations. And it was a nightmare to have everything talk to each other. So when you had um, when you had Eric Johnson on uh, a couple months back, I guess uh, one of the things that I took away from that conversation with him is, oh my God, the number of different technologies you guys talked about. This problem is getting worse, not better. Um, there's so much VC money and investment going into small, very, very focused companies that this world of like a company saying I'm going to buy SAP and that's going to be my only system. We're going in the complete opposite direction as an industry right now. So this idea of, uh, you know, we have one system for accounting. Well, now it might be one system for accounting, one for accounting analytics, one for data processing, one for freight payment, on and on and on. So it's 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 really, I see an explosion over the next f uh, few years in the number of systems that any company has to touch. Absolutely. Absolutely. So why is it such a challenge then for companies to find a way for systems to work together? The, the really hard part is not actually the technology. If you put a couple smart IT people together, they can figure out how to get the ones and zeros and a bill of lading from one system to another. The people part of it and the project management is extremely difficult. And it takes a lot of discipline and it's a very different mental approach than a company has if their job is to move freight. 
which is a very transactional kind of sequence thing, uh, kind of herding the cats of all of these trading partners and their software providers, and sometimes even a third tier of software providers, that's what makes it really hard, right? And then being disciplined to take the meeting minutes, have the calls, uh, do all of the collaboration kind of pieces that are human is really the thing that I think is where most companies fall apart when it comes to integration. Uh, you know, they, they let the, the status calls kind of peel off or they're not reporting back to executives properly and projects lose a lot of momentum and they take a lot longer. Um, to me, that's really the fundamental thing. And then, you know, the tech is, is, it's hard. And, and, you know, we've done a lot of things to make ourselves faster using the cloud and serverless and microservices and all these buzzwords that aren't even, aren't even our industry's buzzwords. There's a whole nother set of cloud buzzwords that we use. But, um, you know, that stuff is really secondary to, to having the people process down. Yeah, and I think you kind of nailed it on the head. I mean, as far as, you know, freight providers, service providers, that kind of thing, I mean, we're very much, you know, problem solvers. But at the end of the day, I, I'm, I'm, we're not very good at project management. Um, and I'll sort of say that for myself, maybe. And I like how you've said that the integration part, you know, the collaboration is really about the project management and the success is in the project management. And I think that that's something that is not talked about a lot. Yeah, and there's there's a cultural side to it, right? And as you said, if you're if you're a freight provider, let's get the next shipment done and let's make sure we're doing it, you know, inexpensively, but that we're providing the the, the service that we need to our clients. That's a very um, it's a repeatable process. Whereas project management, when it comes to integrations, is often a lot about improvisation in in kind of a different way. Um, you know, one of the things that I learned running internal IT departments is it's hard to have a culture inside an IT department that is different than the culture of the company that surrounds it. You know, we want, we do things inside Chan.io like having unlimited vacation and sending our, our, you know, kind of line level programming staff to conferences. It's hard to do those things inside of a company that's working on the razor thin margins of, of freight. Uh, so you really, you're fighting an uphill battle just from the beginning if you're in the IT department inside one of these companies. Absolutely. And I think another thing to maybe mention is that traditionally, you know, in uh, supply chain and logistics, there's a silo mentality. And what you're bringing to the industry is more of that collaboration that we need a little bit more of. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, um, you know, there's that silo not just of this is my company but oftentimes this is my account within the company right and we're going to handle you know this retail account and then some other salesperson has this this pharmaceutical account and and really the two don't meet they're handled in different stations and they're you know there isn't this this bigger picture um, and then that takes another step up to to looking at how companies are collaborating with each other. And we spend we spend a ton of time thinking about where's the industry going, going out to these conferences, so that we can bring that back uh, to our customers who, you know, they, they just they don't have the the capacity to be necessarily out in the industry like like you and I are, kind of having these conversations all the time. There's uh you know a lot of them they don't have the budget or they don't have the time to get out and do that. So. You know, we try to bring a lot of that back too, because that's really where collaboration is about finding common ground. And when you're inside the four walls of a company, it's often hard to see the other person you're collaborating with as someone you do have common ground with. 
Yeah, absolutely. And you are actually coming to Toronto in the next couple of weeks for a conference. I was originally supposed to speak at that same conference, but I could not make it happen. So... Oh, you're going to bait me into saying the uh, the buzzword of the year here, aren't you? I am uh, on a panel at the Air Cargo Forum speaking about blockchain. Uh, we do some blockchain. It is not all that we do, but we do think, uh, or I think, that what you're going to see in the next few years is as things like IBM's Food Trust Project with Walmart and all these other blockchains spin up, a lot of companies are going to start having to figure out how they're going to support the blockchain initiatives that the shippers are going to be uh pushing at them. And one of the uh, great quotes I heard this year was actually from um, an audience member on a panel I was at, uh, at one of SMC3's conference. And the person said, we as an industry are not going to make blockchains, we're going to be blockchained by the shippers. Uh, and I think where why we're so invested in it is, as the shippers in different verticals build out all these different blockchains, all the logistics providers are going to have to integrate to those blockchains. And that's going to be a whole nother. It's going to be the next wave of integrations that everyone has to figure out how they work. Absolutely. But it brings back that point again of, of collaboration, you know, everybody sort of working their own part of the, of the blockchain, but being able to share that data. Yeah. And there's nothing more collaborative than sharing data in real time in a way that you can't erase it, which I know if we, we really want to give operations people uh, heart attacks is, is where we're, they don't have an eraser on the end of the pencil anymore. So, <laughs> well, let's not, let, you know, let's not throw them that way just yet because we're, I think everybody's going to need some time to uh, yeah, sort of digest. That part scares me a lot, honestly. And it's, it's one of those things with, with, and it's really not about blockchain itself, but this idea of real time collaboration. And, you know, I'm going to sit on my loading dock and scan uh, each carton and my customer is going to see that in real time, whether that's blockchain or an API. That's really different for companies that are used to being able to say inside my office or inside the four walls of my facility, I can do whatever I want as long as I hit your KPI. As that gets peeled back, you really got to rethink your business processes as a company. And it's something that has been, you know, I've been struggling with even to kind of think through the consequences of that uh, for our industry. Yeah. And no more blame game, which I think yeah. would be a very nice change for the industry as that well. So be. let's get back to the discussion of, you know, the systems and the integration. What are the repercussions to a company using different systems that don't work together? I mean, I, I gave the example of, you know, us having an accounting system, a WMS system, et cetera, et cetera. I know the repercussions and the struggles that we had um, just by, you know, having maybe four systems that didn't work together. But now you're talking about data analytics, et cetera, et cetera, which is just going to compile the problem. So one of the big things that that is probably the first thing people have to think about is what's the truth? If I'm looking at three systems and they all have a slightly different representation of a, of a particular financial transaction or shipment is what system is my system of record? Where is the data that's true so that we know which systems we trust and which ones are, if there's a conflict, we, you know, we trust system A. So I'm always going to trust my accounting system first and my analytics system second, or I'm, or, you know, at the invoice that's in my operation system that gets replicated to accounting, that's really the truth. Right. And that 
problem of my analytics is telling me one thing, my operations system is telling me uh, another, and there's a third in my accounting system, or my inventory looks different in my order management system than it does in my warehouse. Uh, you know, if companies can't take a step back and rationalize and really think of their data strategy first, that's where the problems all start, right? Is not having a really good map of where my systems of record are, because then people just start fighting, right? They say, well, this is the system I like the best, or this is the system that tells the narrative that I need to get my budget increased, right? And they say, well, then that's the truth. Uh, so that's one of the big, and then the other is is just the, you know, people who sit there and key stuff off of one screen and into another, right? And how many people in this industry could be doing so much more interesting things with their lives, but are stuck keying a PDF into another system or, cutting and pasting columns on an Excel spreadsheet so that it matches the way it has to be uploaded to the accounting package. There's, you know, from a personal level, you know, when I look at how we can help people, I want those people to be doing things that use their brains instead of their fingers, uh, you know, and then, so that's kind of a personal mission of mine. Yeah, it's, you know, it brings me back to the point where, you know, I've talked about it a few times is the mismanagement of people. Um, And, you know, not only, you know, with, with having the systems talk to each other and making people more useful and giving them more, more of a useful job, I guess you would say, is that, you know, we've also got the robotics that are coming as well. And I think that it behooves us to think about our people. You know, we really, really need to start thinking about the people in our companies, you know, the positions that they're going to to take the roles that they're going to play in the future of the company and how can we maximize what they're doing on a day-to-day basis? Because if you can not only maximize what they're doing, but give them something useful to do that they feel like they're making a difference, it changes the company. Oh, I mean, it totally does. It's, um, you know, I was lucky to start my career at a, uh, a customs broker that was very high service and very much about teams that understood the clients and understood their needs and personally knew the people at the other end of the phone. And I've uh, nothing I've ever heard about technology has changed my view that that's the most important thing, right? And that if you, it's very hard if your day is grinding all of this monotonous work that frankly should be replaced by robots. It's very hard to also be customer service oriented or have empathy for the customer. Um, so the more we can get that out of people's lives, I think it frees them up to, to be human again. Right. And to, to really be part of, of the interaction, you know, we used to do things like tell, you know, desk level bonuses. If you upsell, right. Well, if you're sitting there grinding PDFs all day, you're not thinking about how you can help the client more. You're just thinking about getting the pile from the left side of your desk to the right side of your desk. And, you know, I think systems integration and robotics and all of these things really do create the opportunity to let people be more human and less robotic. Yeah. And it's not only the human element, but it's also the creativity. It allows them to be more creative. And like you said, use their brain and use the things that they, you know, were, are, are there for, um, and the strengths that they have to bring to the table. So I love that. I love that. So let's talk about a real life example. 
you know, we've talked about, you know, who you are, why there's a need, you know, what are the repercussions if companies don't start taking a look at this now? But can you paint a picture for us? You know, what is a real life example of how you've helped a customer and what did it mean for them? So one of the things that is fundamental to the way that we build our connections with our clients is what we call the, the single pipe, which is we build a connection to our client and into their trading partner that are each a reusable pipe. And so what that lets us do is things like I got a call about two weeks ago from one of our clients, an existing customer. And they said, we had a project that was on our roadmap. We hadn't even told you about it. It was going to be about six months from now that we wanted to talk about integrating to one of the freight payment providers. And then, and then they said, and we have really bad news for you. We just heard from the salesperson that if we don't get that project done in the next four weeks, completed and tested, we're going to lose the account. And we're so sorry. And oh my God, you know, what are we going to do? And it was, it was, we were starting to get into panic mode. Uh, and I said, well, who's the freight payment provider? And it turns out someone we had already built that single pipe to for another client. So we were able to go on that call and say, that's not a problem. That four weeks is actually two weeks longer than we're going to need to validate the testing because we already have the connections up and running. Uh, and all we have to do is take the single pipe we already built to you and plug it into the single pipe for them. And the, just the, the sound of relief from that IT lead that they weren't going to have to go back and say that, that they were, you know, putting the client at risk, which really wouldn't have been their fault. But, uh, you know, that, that, that's what we bring to our clients. And, it, you know, it's, it's that ability to go in and say, you know, let's reuse what you have. Let's find the way to connect different things together. Uh, so that we, we create that kind of sense of relief, if you will. Absolutely. That was a, that was a really great example. So on top of that, though, you know, everybody wants to know when they're talking to you, what is the benefit and ROI? You know, that a customer should expect by partnering with chain.io. That is, I think, I don't know about you, but probably one of the number one questions that everybody has when they're talking to some of these new innovations and these new, you know, platforms and, and different things that are coming out. So we answer that question with, with the, a hard ROI and a soft one. So the hard one, the one that you can show to an accounting department is pretty simple. We charge our clients per connection and we charge them a flat rate per month. And as you scale up, they get they get progressively cheaper as you add more. Uh, and we design that model and we can sit down with a client and show them that as they work up and add more and more connections, we are always cheaper at any way up the scale from the smallest to the biggest, always cheaper than hiring people to do it in-house. That, that just the, the amount per month that you're going to spend on labor and licensing to build this stuff yourself, which will take you longer anyway, you know, will, will be cheaper than having to do that in-house. So there's a very simple mathematical ROI that we run there. Uh, the second, which is really where I think the bigger opportunity is, is that when your sales team has confidence that you're going to get these things done, they don't double clutch in a meeting or they don't try to hedge and they're able to say things like, um, like what I used to say in sales meetings when I was working inside LSPs, which was, you don't even have to show me the spec you're using. Uh, you know, we'll take the business and, and I guarantee we can make it work because I have confidence that our IT department can deliver it and we can deliver it on schedule. And that freeze your salespeople up to close business or to embed you more deeply uh, than they ever did before. 
And then the same exact math works on the shipper side, right? Because we do work directly with shippers, with retailers, uh, where they don't have internal expertise. Their IT departments pulled in a hundred directions with marketing, with, you know, brand projects, with, you know, every, everything under the sun. And to be able to say, okay, we can just put this specialized thing of logistics IT into this bucket and we can put a budget around it and have a lot of control over it and then pick our service providers knowing if we need to change providers or we're going into another region, uh, they can hook us to another agent or another forwarder very quickly. The ROI there of opportunity cost of, of being able to get at and be more agile is I think much bigger than that, than the simplistic math of, of kind of labor. But we often have to start with the labor argument because uh, CFOs like seeing things that go well on spreadsheets. Absolutely. Well, but you bring up a really good point. Um, and I think amongst service providers in the logistics industry, you know, there's an argument for having everything in house versus outsourcing. So I guess my question to you is, what do you think? I believe in a hybrid. Um, I think you have to have in-house expertise on those things where you differentiate. Uh, and when I started doing all this almost 20 years ago, differentiation was I can exchange a status message or I can accept a purchase order. Nowadays, that stuff's table stakes. It is essentially commoditized. You can't get... You can't get a customer as a freight forwarder if you can't do EDI of any size. And if you're a shipper or retail, uh, a wholesaler, you can't provide product to a retailer if you can't do EDI. So to me, those are the things that you should be using a partner for. And we, we don't even necessarily believe in replacing internal EDI departments. We think Internal EDI departments should be holding maybe your five or 10 biggest relationships, your most critical ones. But there's a huge long tail now. You know, it used to be if a client was, uh, you know, on any side of that transaction was handling, you know, a hundred shipments a year, you didn't do electronic data with them. But startups or, or companies that are doing electronic devices, they're expecting this from the ground up now. And it's where a lot of the digital forwarders are you know, that's where they're going to win in the space. And so we see our role as not necessarily replacing your EDI department on those, those most important connections, but handling that whole long tail of stuff that, you know, doesn't, that, that people aren't even considering as, as opportunity today. Okay. And, but what about programs? So building in, building your programs or platforms in house versus uh, using so an outside source? Buy them. In this, in this day and age, um, there's so many good tools out there. I mean, it's been a really long time. And, and there might be a couple of examples where companies have really differentiated in some narrow verticals. But if you're operating freight or you're operating a warehouse or you're doing an order management system, you know, these basic things that we can break down into these three-letter acronyms of WMS, OMS, TMS, there's no way you're going to build something in-house that is close to as good as what you can buy with the same dollars. It's just, there's just, it's just not possible. There's 30 years, 40 years sometimes of knowledge built into these systems. Now, if you're super specialized, you're doing really specific project freight, build something next to it that handles that little bit of nuance, but don't build the whole thing from scratch. There's just, there's just too much good software out there nowadays. 
Yeah, and it'll just cost you a boatload of money. Yeah, and the supporting it, right? The long term, you know that that ROI on that and the the, the the total cost of ownership. People lose track of if I build a system, I got to have people to maintain it forever. That never goes away. We got to upgrade it. We got to do all sorts of things that just uh, people don't really see the ten year cost there, and it's it's immense. Absolutely. I definitely agree with that. Okay. So we've already talked about the cost to the customer. Was there anything that you wanted to sort of um, throw in there? Because I know you said that it was a flat monthly fee. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So the cost to the customer with us is is pretty simple. And, and we're also flexible enough that we do work with our clients to, to, to really make it work. So, but the nice part is our customers, the, the minimum that a customer pays us is really only $400 a month. So people can get started with us, you know, and, and a lot of what we do is working with very small forwarders or very small companies that really say, look, I have to do EDI to sell to, uh, you know, I want to put this stuff in a major big box company and they need this thing called an 856. And I don't know what that even means. Uh, or a forwarder says, I really want to land this piece of business and I just need this one connection. So we start there with clients. Uh, and then we also go into large companies and say, let's look at your whole strategy, right? And those are, those are not $400 a month, but it scales up along a path. So it's very clear at the beginning what you're paying at the end, which is a lot different uh, than a company who drives off professional services and will kind of, you know, kind of bury the fact that you're going to pay them an extra half a million dollars over the next three years for all the modifications, which uh, as someone who's who was a CIO, nothing frustrated me more than I bought a bunch of licenses and then found out how much how many things were a mod and how much those mods were going to cost. And then, you know, being on the, on the receiving end of that from a CFO is not a pleasant day. Uh, so when we set out to do this, we said, you know, I would never want to put another human being in that position. So we're very, very transparent. Yeah. And I love that. And you're, you're mindful of it and, um, you're making it affordable so that, you know, you can work with everybody and, and everyone has access to it. You know, it's not a huge, huge investment, all one lump sum. Um, and yet you don't even know if it's going to work, you know, sometimes at that point. So let's talk about the future. What's next for chain.io? Uh, so our big, 2019 strategy. The thing that's next for us is really aggressively going in and helping a lot more uh, of the shippers and the retail market specifically. Uh, we spent a lot of time over the last few years really building deep connections into a lot of logistics providers uh, and the software companies that support them. And now we're turning, kind of turning our, our view to, to expand that to also include a lot of retail, uh, pharmaceutical, uh, working even directly with some of the airports potentially. So kind of expanding the purview from freight forwarders, customs brokers, logistics providers in general out into the, the broader market there. That's, that's really the next thing for us. Um, you know, and, and the great part is we're already working with those companies because those are the trading partners of, of those core companies we started with. Uh, so, but that's the thing we're probably the most excited about over the next year. 
Well, I'm definitely excited to, uh, you know, keep following you and stay connected and, and see what you guys are working on because it sounds amazing. So where can people connect with you? Uh, so best starting point right now is uh, chainio.com and then LinkedIn. Uh, we, we There's nothing we, we don't put on LinkedIn first. Uh, we think it's kind of the lifeblood for the industry. Uh, and then from there, you can find our, our Instagram and our Twitter. But uh, LinkedIn's really our, our big home for big announcements and all the cool stuff we're doing. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I'm going to have all of that information on the website anyways. So are you struggling with separate systems and is it costing you money? Well, hopefully Brian and I have given you a lot to think about today. Make sure to check them out at chain.io. Is it chainio.com or chain.io? Just chain.io. Perfect. Perfect. And I will have all of the information at letstalksupplychain.com forward slash season two dash episode 38. And that includes where to connect with them on LinkedIn. Thank you, Brian, for sharing your insights, what you are doing, and how you are helping the supply chain community work smarter. Thanks. I had a lot of fun. Before we get into next week's episode, I am giving away a voucher. I'm giving away a $100 wine voucher to nakedwines.com. For a, it's $100 off a case of wine. If you want to participate, make sure to go to Instagram. Uh, you need to follow us on Instagram. Let's talk supply chain. Like the post for the $100 wine voucher, which I will be featuring this week. It actually should be up today. So make sure you go and do that or Twitter. Uh, follow us on Twitter, like and retweet that post. On Instagram, you need to make sure that you tag a friend um, under that post uh, to qualify for this giveaway. So again, that's Instagram. Twitter is Let's Talk S Chain. And that's for a $100 wine voucher. Now, this is only for U.S. residents. So make sure if you're going to do that. I mean, I'd love for you to follow me anyways. But if you're going to do that, make sure that you're a U.S. resident. So in next week's episode, Woman in Supply Chain series is back. And so is Optricity. I am so excited because Sheila Benny joins us to talk about her journey to success and why you should start a career in supply chain. So make sure, make sure that you go and check out that episode episode once once it launches next Monday. Remember, if you would like to support the show, go to ships.com, shipz.com, fill in your name and email address to be put on the list for one of the first people to know about what we are working on. Uh, number two, go to the website under shop. I have a supply chain dictionary there. It's full of definitions and acronyms for the supply chain. Um, very affordable. So go and check that out. Follow us on all of our social media. One more comment about that wine voucher. You must like, comment, retweet, and share the posts by, um, we're going to be looking at November 26th because this voucher has a time limit on it. So make sure you do that before November 26th. And that's the day that I am going to be announcing the winner. 
Rate and review the show. Please go to iTunes, rate and review the show so other people can find us. I am so excited because I have a five star, five out of five stars on iTunes right now. And that's all thanks to you guys. So thank you once again for tuning in. Have an amazing day. And remember, everybody, ship happens. Ship happens.